Yo, 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 yo. Welcome to episode number 76 of the Basketball Card Podcast. I am your host, Adam. Uh, you can reach me at the real 27 guy on Instagram. This brought to you, this episode is brought to you by Basketball Card Fanatic Magazine. BCF is the magazine for basketball card fanatics. Get your high quality print copy of BCF mailed to you every month by subscribing by subscribing at bcfmag.com. Use discount code BASKETBALL10 for 10% off any item or any subscription in the store. Again, that's bcfmag.com. Guys, welcome to the episode. Um, I'm going to just tell you guys straight off the bat. The beginning of this episode is going to sound like a massive commercial for PWCC Premier Vintage Auction. PWCC is a sponsor of the show, but I am not getting paid to do this episode. Um, I felt like it was important given the incredible auction that is coming up on Thursday to not just talk about the the auction, but give some context and to discuss why it is as significant as it is, as well as talk about what might be going on in the vintage basketball card market. In general, I'm not a big market guy. I'm not a big let's talk about the market guy. Um, I like talking about the cards. That's what 99% of my com- of my content is, is card-related, and I'm proud of that. I don't generally like talking about values. I like talking about cards. Um, but there's weird stuff going on, and I want to talk about it, and I want to see what you guys think. If you have any questions or any comments, I'd love to see. I'd love to hear from you guys. Feel free to message me on Instagram or to tag me in a post or anything like that. I'm usually pretty good at getting back to people. All right, so let's talk about this auction. The question that I have written down in front of me is, um, is, is this the most significant vintage basketball card auction ever? Let's break it down. Let's talk about why. So I'm going to actually just go to PWCC's website, and I'm going to show you guys how to get there. So if you go to pwccmarketplace.com and you click on Browse, follow me to the punchline here a little bit. You'll see why. If you go to Browse and you click Premiere, when you click Premiere, you're going to see there's 80, 86 items up. Okay, Of the 86 items that are up right now, 27 of them are basketball. That might not seem like a huge portion because that's, what is that, like around one-third, right? But I think if you were to go through and look at other Premier Vintage auctions that have happened or just look in general at the Premier auction historically and see what percentage of the vintage cards or basketball, you're going to find that it's a relatively low number. The reason that it's a relatively low number is that there are not nearly as many huge basketball cards in the world of the of vintage as there are baseball, or even as there are football. There are athletes, uh, that's maybe not true. There are a lot of vintage football cards that are big deals. There are a lot of vintage hockey cards that are big deals. I guess there are a lot of basketball cards, but there's not that many compared to baseball, right? In baseball, you get a, a super high-grade mantle from almost any year, and it's big time. Then there's a smattering of different rookie cards and all sorts of cards that even if they're just high-grade, regardless of who the player is, you're going to see that you know that they're worth a lot of money. But we look at this auction right here, and um, again, if you come into the auction, I'm just going to click basketball just because I don't want to see the other 50-something items. Um, here, here are some of them that are that are in the auction, right? The big name card and the one that, that everybody's going to be talking about, I think, at the end probably, is the Pete Maravich 1970 Tops in a PSA 10. 
every time we see this card come to market in a nine, it's a story because um, it's one of the most sort of known cards out there. This time it's a 10. There's only two of those in the world. And that's the sort of card that you don't see come to auction very often. We'll talk about this one more um, in a little bit. Um, you also have the, we're going to just, I'm going to try to fly through these. PSA 8 of the Russell. Um, and then there's, and then SGC 9 of the Alcindor. And then things get crazy. Okay, there's a 1969 Jerry West card number 90 in a PSA 10. It is a pop one. A 1969 Walt Frazier, that's his rookie card, PSA 10. It's a Pop 1. A 1969 Bill Russell, or sorry, Will, Willis Reed in a PSA 10. That's a Pop 1. Willis Reed's an NBA grade. It's 50 guy, so is Walt Frazier. And for each of them, that is the highest graded example of their rookie card in the world. There's a BGS 9.5 Jordan rookie, and then we get back to the 69s again. 69 Wes Unsult, another top 50 or top 75 guy. Pop PSA 10, pop one. Second year Oscar Robertson, which is 1969, along with you know the Jerry West. Pop one, PSA 10. A Nate Thurman, his rookie card. Again, a pop one. Notice, notice a trend here. <laughs> okay, there's also a Johnny Moore rookie, a Moses Malone PSA 10, which I think is like a pop 19. Uh, an Irving rookie, a PSA 9, it's, there's there's quite a few of those, but that's an iconic card. A PSA 10, um, Jerry West, that's his third card. It's a Pop 2. Um, a bunch of other really awesome vintage cards. There's actually there's a PSA 7, PSA DNA auto of the, the big three 1980 tops. Um, and then we'll just hit these last few here. One of the nicest George Mikan rookies that you're ever going to see. It's an SGC 6.5. But PWCC is actually giving it the top 5% eye appeal rating, which means this is one of the nicest looking uh, 1948 George Mikans in the world. Mine, uh, that has been labeled by SGC as altered, doesn't look as good as this one. And that's saying something because mine's one of the nicest ones you're ever going to see. But um, sorry to tout my own stuff. I, my, I think that's true about my card, but it doesn't hold a candle to this. The, the edges on this are incredible. The color on this is fantastic. It's just a basically a perfect card just a tiny bit off side to side um the bear the rick berry psa 10 rookie uh in the night it's the classic 1971 brand and then we've got two more 1971s that are also psa 10s that are both pop ones one's happy hairston that one will be interesting because he's a classic laker and it's that classic laker set if i'm if i'm correct that shows the back of his jersey um he's wearing it forward so let me just ensure that that's true because I don't want to lie to you. I'm pretty darn sure on that one. Yep, there it is. Happy Hairston. Hairston is on the front of his jersey there. Just a classic card in a PSA 10. I don't know what the pop is. Oh, yeah, it's pop one. And then an, uh, an artist, Gilmore, um, from 1972. That's a pop 12, the PSA 10. Um, he would be on the NBA's... or. It, NBA's greatest 50 and NBA's greatest 75 list, except for most of his career took place in the ABA. So I've just gone through, you know, I've gone through all of the auctions and and you might seem think that that's sort of a, a strange way to start talking about or to, to start a to start a um, a podcast. Um, but but I wanted to set the stage because truly like this is not 
we just listed off, I think it was about a half a dozen of the of the NBA's greatest 50 where their pop one um, rookie cards are being sold. How many how many basketball players in the top 50 have a rookie card that's pop one? <laughs> right? It's it's really small. It's a really really small number. You can st- I mean once you get past the the late 60s, you you get into cards that are that are even in the highest grades way more common than pop ones. So if, go back to 1948. I'm just going to kind of do this at, you know off the off the cuff real quick. George Mikan, right? George Mikan has um, a few cards in the highest grade. 1957, Bill Russell, there's three PSA 9s. 1961, or 1957, you also have Koozie. I don't, there's no 10s. There's no 10s of anybody in that set. I believe there's a few Koozie 9s. Um, then you get into, uh, i have to fact check myself on that because I'm not entirely sure. I could be wrong on that one. Then there's a few other guys in 57. There's Dolph Shays and Paul Arizin and um, guys like that that, um, you know, that maybe maybe have one or have a few PSA 9s I'd have to check. And then you get to 61 and Chamberlain's got a few PSA 10s. Um, it's, I think I think maybe Oscar only has one PSA 10. I have to look. I did know this at one point. But then you get to 69, right? So you're already at 69. There's only a few guys, if that, before 69 that have pop ones, right? There's only a few. And then in 69, there's a few. There's like several of them. Most of them are up for sale and, and ending this week, <laughs> ending Thursday. After 69, then there's um, 1970, which I believe only features the Maravich as a top 50 guy. And in this auction, there's two, or in, there, in this auction, there's one of the two PSA 10s in the world. Then you get to 71. Guys, by the time you get to 71, very few of the rookie cards are, even in the highest grade, pop ones and pop twos. So... If the filters that you want to put on, you know, something are NBA's greatest 50, pop one in the highest grade, I would say the majority of those that exist in the world are selling this week. And that's a significant thing because that sort of thing never happens. You rarely see them go up for sale at all, but to see them all being sold at the same time, presumably by the same person, is exceptionally rare. Next segment, segment, we'll talk about what has happened over the last six weeks and why it's really significant for this auction. Most of you know about PWCC. What you might not know is how much of the market share of auctions PWCC has taken from eBay. Every week, over 10,000 auctions, including thousands of basketball cards, end on the PWCC marketplace. If you haven't joined, it's super easy. It takes only a few minutes to register and begin bidding on everything from $5 cards to million-dollar cards. I recently picked up a 2007 Topps Chrome Superfractor of Kevin Garnett on the PWCC Weekly Auction. What are you waiting for? Register today at pwccmarketplace.com and start bidding. About six to eight weeks ago, um, I had this crazy thing happen where I was talking to somebody over at PWCC who's um, on their marketing team, He's a good friend of mine, and his name's Brady. And Brady told me, he said, hey, did you see those crazy sales in the weekly auction? And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, the crazy vintage basketball sales. And I was like, you'll have to tell me more. And so um, he said, there were some really low pop 
common type cards that sold for really insane money. And I was like, let's go take a look. So you and I, so now let's go take a look together. So we can, it, this is easy to find. If you go again to pwccmarketplace.com, click on browse, under browse, there's something called the PWCC sales history. Click the PWCC sales history. I'm gonna wait for it to pull up right here. And then search by title. I'm gonna type in 1969 tops. Hit enter. I'm gonna hit sort and filter. Sort by highest first. Uh, and then after you sort by highest first, you can click basketball. Um, or you can click actually for weekly auction hit or for marketplace hit weekly auction and then for category hit basketball. Okay, and when you do that, I started doing it on the computer. I'm actually gonna do it on my phone though because that'll be easier with everything else that I have up. Um, when you do that, the first thing that you're gonna see, the highest sale ever is a Jerry Lucas Gem Mint 10. Well, if you look at the date, this card sold on June 5th, 2023, and the sale price was $84,000. Now you see that and you go, well, Jerry Lucas is an NBA's greatest 50 guy. He is, um, it's a pop two, so it's a very rare card, obviously. Uh, it's an important part in the 1969 set. And it sold last, you know, it only sold last month. The next question that you should ask, and I think everybody should always ask this question whenever they're looking at historical sales da data, is did it really sell? What I mean by that is, was it actually paid for? Um, Something that we always should be thinking about when we're looking at comp data. Was it actually sold? And so I actually went back to Brady after he and I were talking about this. And I was like, dude, do we actually know that this was paid for? And Brady went and confirmed that the following cards that I'm about to talk about, that they've all been paid for, that they truly were really transacted on. So these aren't just cards that are have fake numbers to them. These are real, like real people bought these real cards or real funds, or somebody really bought these cards. So June 5th, Jerry Lucas, $84,000, pop two. That, with a week before that, there was another one, if we scroll down, right, we're still scrolling, scrolling down through the highest 1969 cards to ever sell. The week before, on May 29th, a pop one, Kevin Lockery. You might remember him because he was a coach. Um, Kevin Lockery sold for $84,000 in a Gem 10. Then there's an Al Cinder 8, and then a Dick Barnett sold for $78,000, also on May, 9th, May 29th. Another Pop 1. That same week, or a week later, Al Adels, uh, I think best known in the card community as being the first card in the 1961 Fleer set, is 1969 in a Gem Mint 10. Again, a Pop 1 sold for $78,000, and back to, back to June 5th, uh, uh, Connie Hawkins, um, a better-known player, played in both the ABA and in the NBA, his Gem Mint 10 Pop 1 of 3 sold for $78,000. So Connie Hawkins is a better name, but being that he's a Pop 3, he sold for $78,000. These are really incredible numbers. These really happened. They really sold. And again, I talked to the guys at PWCC. These really like to get paid for. So the question is, why is this happening? These aren't... <laughs> Sometimes we see something sell for a few hundred dollars too much or a few thousand dollars too much and you look at it and you go, that's amazing. And these are like 
like significant down payments on a house type amazing for single cards of some players that aren't really known at all. So why are they selling for so much? Some people will look at this and they will call, they will just call the people who are buying them silly, say this is stupid, this doesn't make any sense. But the thing that is really clear about the history of the hobby is that when you have something that's highly collected, like the 1969 set is, and it's one of the top five most collected basketball sets of all time, okay? It's a huge, very important set with more top 50 guys in it than any set ever made, uh, more top 50 rookies than any set ever made. Um, so why, the reason why, I just interrupted myself like three times, sorry. Um, the reason why people pay so much for high-grade um, cards from, from sets like this is largely, not totally, but largely because they're set collectors. Set collectors recognize, especially at the highest level, that there's very few opportunities to get cards that no one else has or that very few people have. If you look at on the PSA site, you can find something called the PSA registry. Some of you, probably most of you, know what the P PSA registry already is. But basically what it is, is it's like a way to rank your personal set against the other people who are trying to complete the nicest sets in the world. PSA has this um, system where you take the average grades of your cards in the set and then that gives you like a composite grade and it gets ranked against everybody else who's put that set together. And so the more popular the set, the more difficult it is to find cards that are higher graded than people who are toward the top of that set. 1969 tops is really, really high on this list, right? Of like important basketball sets because really it's like the 1961 Fleer set's probably the, the most popular. And then you've got 1957 tops. And then you've got like, people would automatically say 1948 Bowman, but I wouldn't put 1948 Bowman anywhere near 1969 because 1948 Bowman really only has the Mikan. And yes, the Mikan is just ultra iconic, but 1969 has all of these guys, right? It has, I think it's 10 of the NBA's greatest 50 rookies in it, like 20%. And most of their PSA 10s, um, Pop 1 PSA 10s are in this auction. Um, it's It really is, like as far as vintage basketball goes, it's one of these sets. After 69, you get 70 that has the Maravich in it, and then you get 71 that's the first standard set. But 71 lacks a great rookie card. It's got Rick Barry and a couple other kind of okay guys. But, um, and then 72 has Irving. Obviously, the Irving PSA 10 that there's a loan copy of would be you know, well into the millions of dollars, um, I would believe. And that's not in this auction. But for the rest of the guys, um, you know, for, for the rest of the sets, I should say, 69 is really incredibly important. And, and obviously, that's, those aren't the only big-time cards in the set. I led with the fact that the biggest card, even though it's a pop two, is the Maravich. Um, it's... It's important to try to understand, though, what I'm trying to get at is it's important to understand where the ultra-elite set collector is coming from. 
it is so difficult to try to increase your place in the registry. This is the only way. And some of these cards that are up for auction now, obviously, you will never, ever see them again. Um, next segment, we'll look at... Um, We'll, we'll try to sort of extrapolate what these pop ones um, represent in this case, because unlike the, the data that we saw, we just looked at, these are stars, not just sort of common players. I suspect most of you have been on MC Sports Cards items on eBay and nearly 60,000 positive feedback. They're one of the biggest consignment companies on eBay. What you might not know is that they've started a focus auction for 1K and over items that end Monday nights, and they call it MC Mondays. Dozens of huge cards end on Monday, all at open auction. You could check out the items by searching by seller and going to MC underscore sports cards today. Okay, so again, what does this data mean that we've sort of talked about over the last six weeks, these giant sales? What do they mean for the big stars? My... My first answer is obviously, and the real answer is nobody really knows this. Um, and again, I'm not going to hazard a guess because this is these numbers are well outside of. I, I've never spent anything close to this on a card, right? Um, Seventy-eight thousand dollars for an Al Adels and a and a Dick Barnett, like it's hard to fathom, right? Um, but then I get down to Connie Hawkins in a PSA ten, and I see it's seventy-eight thousand dollars. And again, my mind just goes to, gosh. How can Connie Hawkins be on the same, like just only on the same level as, as these other guys? Like, shouldn't, wouldn't you think he'd be so much more? But then I see immediately that he is a pop three. I think what you have to do here, and this is what I'm going to try to do on, I, I think that this is, this is what, it, this is how it'll probably shake out on Thursday. Um, I think we're going to see some really, I could be wrong. Okay. But Given everything that I know about the hobby and given what we've seen over the last six weeks, I think that we're going to see some really incredible sales on Thursday. And what I think is really going to shine are these pop ones of really iconic and important cards. It is such an incredibly rare thing to see pop ones of rare cards. Um... And people, most of the people who are listening to this, most of you guys are, are, are um, you know, more modern collectors. And you think of it like it's a, like, oh, well, it, at the very most, it could be like sort of like the one of one parallel. But that's not how vintage collectors think, right? When you have a 99 card set, like the 1969 top set is, there are only 99 cards to, to get. And so each one of those really matters and each one of them finding it in the best grade really matters. And certain cards in the set really, really matter. And so I think, you know, we're we're going to see some of those best ones that have ever sold sell all at the same time. And I would guess that there are a lot of there are a lot of people who would like them, only probably a few at the top. So I'm really interested to see what those few people at the top do. How do they behave in this situation? Um Again, I think the real answer is nobody really knows. But if you compare the resumes of the guys who have sold and their rarity with the guys that are up, and um, so Paul Silas, 
um, is another pretty good name. He was obviously a coach, had a decent NBA career. He sold for sixty-six thousand. Ron, he was a pop one. Ron Williams, pop one, sixty thousand. Um, on, sorry, Tom Meshery. I should know how to say his last name. I don't. I've seen his name a million times. Fifty-five thousand. Um, Terry Deschinder, pop one, fifty-two thousand. Adelman, pop one, fifty-two thousand. This was actually before those other big sales. So in one week, on on May twenty-second. These were selling big, around $52,000, $53,000. And then they were a lot more the next week and about the same the week after that. So they were sort of building, and then we haven't seen as many over the last little bit. Um, let's see if there's any other ones here. Bailey Howell, um, another Pop 1. Oh, and this is from just a couple weeks ago, 50000 So maybe some of the Pop 1s haven't been quite as much. But they've largely been, oh, and here's a Keith Erickson at 40000 a Lloyd Peterson at thirty-eight thousand, a Jack Marin at thirty-six thousand. That's back in the beginning of May. So over the course of the last, like I say, six to eight, eight weeks, these cards have largely ranged from around thirty-eight thousand to around seventy, uh, or to around eighty-four thousand dollars. That's sort of been the range, and it's kind of anybody's guess why sometimes they go between from one to the next. Although it does seem to me that the better names are towards the top of this list and the worst names are sort of towards the bottom. Jerry Lucas, of all of those, is one of the best names on the list, but he was a pop too. So I think, again, that was interesting that he sold for 84000 And Kevin Lockery in 84000 surprises me because he's not as big of a name as some of these other ones. So um, anyway, I've done enough talking on, on a lot of these types of things. Um, we'll see what happens. Let's get to the Maravich. Maravich is, I looked this up earlier today, looking back at the iconic 100 list um, that I did for PWCC while I was working there full time. Maravich is one of eight pre-1980s basketball cards to make the iconic 100 list. You can, you can name them off the top of your head if you try. Um, it's the Mikan 48. It's the Russell 57. It's the 61 Fleers of Oscar, West, and Chamberlain. Um, Maravich is 70. Uh, in 72, you have Irving, and, oh, who am I missing? Who am I missing? Did I miss somebody? I missed somebody. Maybe it's just one of seven. Because there's not nobody else in 73. There's nobody in 74, 75, 76. There's nobody in 78. Maybe it's maybe there's only seven guys. Did I do it right? Mikan, Russell, the 361 guys. Oh, Alcindor. Alcindor is in 69, too. My bad. Alcindor and Maravich and uh, and uh, Irving. Okay, so yes, we got there in the end. There's only eight, eight of these guys. There's only eight of these incredibly important, highest of the high, most important vintage basketball cards. Pete's one of them. Pete also has this sort of mythical following, right? He was the first person to pass away from the NBA's greatest 50 team. He died very young. He lived a very sort of tragic life. Um, he's, he's probably one of the guys that most, that a lot of people think of as a hero, um, turned to Christianity and definitely, you know, changed his life, signed his, signed a lot of his signatures with, you know, verses from the, from the Bible. Um, was a very unique character in the history of basketball. I don't think there's anybody who has more documentaries 
or more sort of like movies made about him. Um, I watched, there was a movie called The Pistol that I used to watch when I was a kid. And I used to go out into my, you know, into my backyard and just try to do all the tricks that he, that, that they showed him doing in the movie when, when he was a kid. Um, there's two of these cards. The market isn't where it was, but we know what we've seen in the world of vintage basketball. I have no idea what to expect on this card. Usually I can get a range on, on a big card by really just sort of sitting and thinking through like, oh, I think this might happen or that might happen. No one except for the people who are going to be bidding on this card have any idea what they're willing to pay. And, uh, or I guess if they might have told somebody, right? Um, I don't know what's going to happen, but the Maravich on its own is going to be worth watching. Um, I don't, I don't know anything else to really say other than that. Uh, Jeremy Lee and I are going to be covering it live on his Sports Card Live channel. Um, I think it's going to be a lot of fun, and I can't wait to see what happens on Thursday. I don't know if it, again, I don't know if it's going to be huge or if it's going to be if it's going to you know putter out. I have no idea, but I'm really excited for it. I also know that these incredible valuations that we're seeing on these pop ones and twos don't really have a whole lot of uh, influence over lower pop cards. I have a pop 19 Wilt Chamberlain from 1972 tops. If anyone wants to pay me half of what these common pop ones are going for, it's yours. <laughs> I don't think anybody will, despite the fact that, you know, it's one of Wilt's popular cards and it is exceedingly rare. The people who are buying the highest graded cards are of a different breed. And they're a different breed than than the regular mainstream collector. I don't consider myself a regular mainstream collector, but but I think I'm closer to it than the people who are who are after after these. Um, it's an incredible thing to think of somebody like Kevin Lockery selling for eighty four thousand dollars. So anyway, it'll be really fun to see what happens this Thursday. Make sure to join me and Jeremy Lee on his Sports Card Live. YouTube channel Thursday, I believe it's at 7.30 Mountain Time, um, or that would be 6.30 Pacific. Uh, hope to see you guys there, and uh, for those of you who are traveling to National, I will see you coming up in a few weeks. I will be there Wednesday through Friday. Come say hi to me if you see me. I'd love to meet you. Um, and, uh, and unless I, I guess I will do, I will definitely do a couple of uh, episodes before then, um, but if I don't, see you until the National. Happy collecting. Thanks for listening to the Basketball Card Podcast. Reminder to subscribe to Basketball Card Fanatic Magazine at bcfmag.com. Remember to use discount code BASKETBALL10 for 10% off any item in the store. That's bcfmag.com.